With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and look who our guest is. We have her with us live. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is here with us. She's going to be here with us for the next hour talking to you guys, answering questions that you may have. I want to quickly tell you that there are many different ways to get your question asked. You can email, um, but the fastest way, if you're watching the live show right now, and if you're watching the live show, you might be watching on YouTube, on Twitter, on our homepage, or on Facebook. Our homepage, by the way, is autism-live.com, and you can be watching the show live there. 
the fastest way to get a question answered when we're live is to, to be on that YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, and just be on that platform and send in the question. It shows up in real time. Uh, if you're watching, say hi, and I'll, I'll shout out, and you can see how fast that is. Uh, either, look, Parker said good afternoon. Uh, so that's how fast it is, Parker. Good afternoon to you, too. Um, we also want to let you know that we're live on a bunch of other sites and we podcast any place that you go to get your podcast. We are a free download. We are very proud of the fact that you guys have made us the number one ranked autism podcast worldwide. So excited to be that. And we are that because you guys liked us and shared us and told friends about us and you subscribed and you reviewed on iTunes. So Traven is showing you some of the myriads of ways that you can watch the show either live and in podcasts. And we hope that you guys will. I'm so happy. Good morning. Mm, we're so glad to have you here. Uh, Cause I think we're going to get to a question of yours in just a second. It's at the top of my list. Uh, so, so thrilled that you are here. And I mentioned that we have Dr. Grant Pichet with us. She is, I believe not just a true expert in the field of autism, I believe the preeminent expert in our time. And so it's always a thrill to have her here with us. She's been working in this field for hundreds of years. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I know it's like a thing and I should like let go of it because I'm, I'm the one that's always trying to protect you because no one would guess that you have been on the planet as many years as you've been practicing. So, um, because you've been, correct me, like, like it doesn't want to stick in my brain. It's more than 40 years now you've been practicing in this field. That's, that's just crazy. That's nuts. That's yeah. crazy. 42, 42, going on 43. <laughs> well, I, again, like, and every, we, everybody hears that and goes, what skin cream are you using? <laughs> that's where we go to. But but the really important thing is that she is a true expert in this field and has gone through a lot of changes in this field and has talked with and um, helped people all across the spectrum and their families. We're talking about very young children all the way up through senior citizens, supporting them, seeing them as whole people. In fact, we should say what you're doing this weekend because I think it's pretty incredible. Are you willing to talk about what you're doing this weekend? Absolutely. And good morning, everyone. It's uh, so good to be back. We've been traveling for a little bit and haven't had the show for, for a while. Uh, yeah, this weekend, of course, is the ABAI uh, International Conference. That stands for the Association for Behavior Analysis International Conference. And this is a very important conference for ABA, for, uh, and it has many thousands of attendees who are mostly uh, BCBAs or board certified behavior analysts, but there are also a lot of parents, families attend, teachers, uh, practitioner, all, all different individuals who are involved with autism in one way or another. This particular conference is not just about autism. Uh, the the uh, association does have another conference that is only about autism, but this one is about all different forms of ABA. And this weekend, uh, CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, is being honored for its uh, many, many years of having provided service to families across the world. And I am, on behalf of CARD and myself, uh, receiving that honor at the opening ceremony of the conference. So that's 
one very wonderful part of this conference. And, and Shannon, another very, very exciting thing for me, which I think is, is just um, is, is something that just came about uh, sometime last year, and it was like a, a wonderful thing that happened, was that you know, I decided I was I was about to retire. This is sort of the beginning of COVID, and I was trying to retire at that point. And I had saved some money, and I decided to donate it to this association, the Association for Behavior Analysis. And they formed an endowment in my name, so it's the Dorian Grand Pichet uh, Fund. And this fund will now every year pay for a physician a doctor, a medical doctor, <clears throat> to present at the ABAI International Conference so that behavior analysts can learn more about the medical side of autism. And this is something I'm very, very passionate about because a lot of behavior analysts um, don't, you know, they forget perhaps or that, that autism, you know, that the child is a whole human being and we have to worry about their biology and, and their medical situation and we have to make sure the child is feeling well and doesn't have gastrointestinal problems or is you know deal with their sleep issues and, and anxiety and all the medical and mental sort of other issues that are ongoing um, and that, that that dealing with those and helping the family through those actually uh, improves the ABA that we do. It accelerates what we do with ABA. So I'm a really strong believer of multidisciplinary treatment. And I'm just thrilled because this is the first year, every single year now, there, there will be a speaker. And uh, the, the fees for the speaker, essentially the honorarium and so on, and the travel costs and so on will be paid by my endowment so that now ABAI will begin to train behavior analysts on medical issues pertaining to autism. And I'm very excited because this year, the first year, we have Dr. Richard Fry, MD, PhD, who is an incredible uh, scientist and phys physician. And he is doing the very first talk and he's going to be training BCBAs on uh, on the the, con the complexities uh, of the medical uh, issues in autism. So it's what very an amazing thing. Yeah, uh, it's it's industry changing. One of the things that I cite all the time uh, as, as one of the many reasons why I think you're the preeminent expert in the field of autism is that you've been doing this for decades and looking at individuals as individuals, whole beings, as you said. And, and that isn't, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm disparaging the field of behavior analysts at all, because not at all. I'm a huge fan of them. But some people tend to be like, I, well, you know, my expertise is this and I'm going to stay in my lane. And when you're a caregiver, when you're a parent and you're trying to put together a team and your child is, you know, bending over, sticking both fists into their stomach and crying when it's time for them to do ABA, it's really, I think it's so beneficial when you have somebody who is willing to work with you and with your medical staff to the greater good for that child or that individual. So I applaud Absolutely. you for being the pioneer Thank in you. this and for putting your dollars where your heart and your, your brains are um, so that other people will benefit from it.
Thank you so much, Alan. Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, if you think of y your ourselves, right, and if you, I always give this example to parents that if you don't sleep, uh, like you and I, neither one of us slept last night, so <laughs> if you don't sleep one night, how are you functioning the next day, right? You might be okay in the beginning of the day, but let me tell you, by two or three o'clock today, I will be a zombie, right? And so imagine that that goes on with our kids. It goes on with many, many, many of our kids. They have sleep issues. And meanwhile, we're trying to pound them with knowledge, with ABA or with school or whatever it is. And it is so difficult for our kids. And logically, obviously, if we can help our kids sleep better, they're going to function better during the day and learn better. And a lot of times when you look at sleep, there's other things that are underlying as well. As you know, a lot of our kids have reactions to various foods and allergens in their environment. On the other hand, our kids are also hypersensitive. So many of our kids have issues with waking up from sound, et cetera. It's all of all the biological stuff. You have to, we as behavior analysts, we have to learn at least enough to work with physicians so that we can basically uh, you know, communicates with them, understand what's going on and so on. Can I do a short plug for something that you turned me on to that we laugh about right. here at the house? And this is for adults. For those of you who are adults, whether you're on the spectrum watching or you're, you're um, not on the spectrum, but you have somebody that you love on the spectrum and you're struggling with sleep, um, you know, been there, done that. It's a conversation that Dr. Grant Pichet and I talk about a lot. And I had mentioned to you, I don't know, like six months ago that I broke down and, and bought the paid version of Calm um, <laughs> because they have sleep stories on there and, and they were helping me. Um, and there was, there were like some, there, there was free ones on there. You don't have to buy the version, but there are free ones on there. And there's some like crazy ones where you're trying to listen to what the story is, but you can't, you can't hang on to the thread of it and you go to sleep. And man, I sleep really hard when I do it. But then I bought the version and you said to me, oh, Shannon, you've got to check out the McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I have been doing the McConaughey ever since. I, I don't even bother with any of the other things. I play the McConaughey thing and he tell, Matthew McConaughey tells a story and it's the big joke because I don't make it more than two sentences in. I'm an insomniac. And I, he says, well, hello there. It's Matthew McConaughey. And, and, and I'm like... You know, and yeah. to the point where I'm not going to be able to see a movie with him, that it's automatic. Um, I hear you. I, so, and my whole family laughs about, we just talk about the McConaughey factor now. But yeah. I'm, I, I'm asking everyone, if you, if you seriously are like, oh, I'm so underslept and I can't, like my kid wakes up and then I can't go back to sleep and you don't know what to do. I, I'm asking you to just try it. It's the Calm app. It's the McConaughey thing. Dr. Grampiche told me it is some serious stuff. McConaughey factor. Jem uh, did it last night for the first time after we watched the eclipse and was out. I said to him, try, try to see if you can hang on to hear what the thread of the story is. I'm telling you that. I'm going to write him a letter. I'm going to write Matthew McConaughey a letter um, because nothing has ever made me go to sleep like Matthew McConaughey. I don't think that's what he wants to hear, but it's true. Okay. So we're going to jump in here, but again, um, I, I said that if people wrote in, I was going to shout out. So I'm saying good morning to Love Life, to Dell, to Christina, um, and Bert. Saying hello to Bert, and I and I already said hello to Parker and Um. 
So uh, I want to get to a question. And of course, when I did that, I just moved things I, around. But somebody can, wrote in a question. Yes, go ahead. You want to ask Dell, people are asking where the conference is, and the conference oh. was virtual. It's a virtual conference. So if you go on the Association for Behavior Analysis International, you can Google that, or you can also Google ABAI, and you'll see all the information. Okay, super duper cool. So we had a question that came in uh, while you were away asking, are there any parts of skills? I don't have the exact wording here, but I know what basically they said. Any parts of skills that deals with cognition, but not in the cognition curriculum? And if that sounds like a weird thing, let me clarify why. Mm -hmm. um, that they, every time they talk about cogn uh, cognition with their supervisor, the supervisor is saying that that's academic and that insurance funding won't fund anything that's academic. So can you shed a little light on the difference between things that are cognitive and academic and the things that are cognitive and aren't academic and where they would find them in skills? Yes, absolutely. So there's an entire section, uh, there's a domain in skills called cognition. And the majority of the stuff, I'm just trying to go through it in my head, but there's hundreds of things in there. I don't think any of it is academic. There's another domain that's called academic. So I would not, if your supervisor is telling you that they can't do portions of cognition, we have an issue here. So you should then escalate that. And you're always uh, welcome to go through Shannon and contact Shannon and she will let our clinical director, Evelyn Kong know. And then Evelyn will reach out to your supervisor and walk them through the cognition curriculum and help them understand kind of what's going on there. Um, I, assuming, I, I'm assuming you're with CARD. Um, and, and, if, and, and bottom line is, yes, that is correct insurance does not allow us to delve into the academic curriculum, but the cognition curriculum has nothing really to do with academic. The, the entire curriculum was built on the premise of that individuals on the spectrum have a hard time with perspective taking. What that means is that they have a very difficult time separating their own mind from the mind of others, and therefore they only are able to see the world from their own perspective. Now, it's, it sounds like not a big deal, but it's a huge deal because it affects a lot of different functions in life. Uh, if you can't see things from another person's perspective, you're going to be intrusive. You're going to be perceived as being self-centered. Um, you will not be able to ha show a lot of empathy or sympathy. You uh, will not be able to kind of understand why people are interested in other things. You won't be able to understand where their information and beliefs come from. Um, it, it, a million things. You won't be able to tell jokes because you'll think they already know what's in your head. You, it, it, a million things. So um, that whole curriculum works on teaching the child or the adult um, all the things that are affected by la having a difficulty in uh, perspective taking. And so these are things like teaching the individual to uh, take someone else's perspective from a sensory perspective. How does the other person see the world? How, what do they hear? How does that affect their knowledge? 
uh, those types of things. And then it goes on to teaching our, our uh, individual kind of how to take the other person's perspective and apply it to real life situations so that like the next time they disagree with someone, it's okay because people can have different beliefs. It's not all black and white. All sorts of challenging behaviors uh, are handled once the person understands someone else's perspective. I mean, if you think about it, Shannon, it's one of those skills that helps us. I mean, you know, the better we are with seeing things from someone else's perspective, the better we are socially. In fact, I want to reference that uh, because I see a lot of times that um, parents and caregivers, we're seeing things from one perspective and we see our kids as whole and we want help for our children for everything. Um, and then different, you know, the school district is thinking, saying, well, we're going to help you with the things that have to do with school. Yes. And somebody else says, well, we're going to help you with the things that your insurance says that we can help you with. And it's all these different perspectives. But what I want to say to caregivers in particular and to folks on the spectrum is that sometimes when we ask somebody a question and, and we ask it what I call tightly, that, you know, so you say, you know, what can I do about my child behaving this way in school? I, I find that in this generation of people, we get a tight answer. We get a t they'll say, oh, I can't help you with what happens in school sometimes. And I'm, I'm you know, taking it to the most exaggerated form that it could be. And they just answer the question that you just asked instead of asking the bigger question of what's the behavior that you're seeing and are you seeing it at home too? And so I want to encourage parents and caregivers always to, you know, ask the question tightly, but then ask it broadly and keep asking until you get to the answer. It, as Dr. Grampy Shea said, though, if you're a card family and you're having these kinds of issues, talk to me and I'll tell you what words to use so that you get your point across, right? Um, and that you don't get stopped by something because somebody was actually answering your question correctly, um, but they weren't looking at what the bigger question was maybe that you were asking. Because most of the time, insurance won't fund things that the goal is educational or something that happens in the classroom. And insurance gets really testy with ABA providers. And so ABA providers are very concerned about following the letter of what is funded. Um, oh, yeah. But there's a lot of middle ground. Oh, yeah. But it's very tough dealing with payers. I mean, like, thank you for bringing that up. I want the families to know, like, you know, they will actually retract payments for anything that is considered academic. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, that, that's why the supervisor is being very cautious. Yeah, but, you know, usually if there's something happening in the classroom, it has like far reaching effects into other things that ABA, that an insurance company would fund. And sometimes it's just a matter of finding how we word it um, so that everybody goes, oh, that's what we're doing here and that's okay. Um, and, it, and it reverse engineers the other way too. I hear schools all the time saying, oh, well, we're not dealing with that because it's not technically educational. And then we have to go back to IDEA and say to them, no, you're also responsible for this person when they leave school and get them to go, oh, right, no, okay, I see where you're going with that. We can fund that, you know? Um, everybody gets a little narrow. Uh, okay, I, I love it when we have adults uh, that ask questions or ask questions on behalf of adults. And so this is a great one that I wanna talk about. Um, that they wanna know with all the things going on in the world uh, right now, 
there's a lot of scary events. How can people on the spectrum handle them and not get scared? And, and for those of you who are on the spectrum, I think this will be interesting to you, but for those of us who have uh, people that we love on the spectrum, mm -hmm. knowing how to support them when scary things happen is a really useful task. Yeah. That's a great question, and I have to say that, I mean, I'm not going to have a great answer for this, because I think that everyone experiences a certain level of fear when things happen in the world. I mean, this morning, early in the morning, as I was just turning on the TV to start my workout, I, know, I heard about the shooting that just occurred in San Jose, California. It's another mass shooting, and these are the things that are extremely scary. And there's no question that, uh, you know, whether you're an adult on the spectrum or just an adult or a teen or a child or, you know, we're going to have different levels of fear about this. Um, and I think when you have fear, all you can do is hope that those around you may give you support. I mean, there's two. One is that with the passage of time, we forget about most of these things, right? We've had horrible shootings in the past and if you you know the fear has now dissipated right there was a time a couple of years ago when when it was almost every week there was something horrible going on i guess uh, that is you know uh, i guess if you look at it from the perspective of did covid produce any positive results that's one of them right we were all home so these types of horrible things were less Unfortunately, it is very true that now that we're going back to regular life, a few things are going to come back that were not so pleasant. One of those is these horrible things that happen. And uh, all we can do is just give each other support and tell each other that it's, you know, there are those who are dealing with it. This will not always be the case. Uh, you know, just try to be cautious to all the things that you know, uh, for instance, don't go into unsafe locations, although most of these most of these mass shootings are unpredictable and you can't really do anything about it. But, uh, you know, honestly, uh, and I appreciate Parker writing all of this here, and he's written a few other really good comments for us this morning as well. But I just want to let you know, it kind of shakes us all up the same. We all kind of get really tight about these things. And uh, I think for me personally, and Shannon, you can uh, also maybe address this, but for me, I think I just have a very strong faith in sort of God and the universe. And I, I try to calm myself by saying, um, you know, we will get through this too, first of all. And uh, secondly, I have a very strong belief that the universe is, is the way it's supposed to be. Things are the way they are, and that is perfect. And so when bad things happen, I just let them uh, happen because it's part of what is intended for all of us to experience and learn from. Um, and it's, it's just really sad. It's very, very sad. And my heart goes out to all those families who are suffering today. Yes, I did not know. I was in other meetings this morning, so I did not know. That's horrifying. I I just want to add to that that I'm an adult who um, was diagnosed with a panic disorder because I was having panic attacks, and and I talk about it, you know, on the show. I don't. I never want to, you know, talk about it endlessly. But 
I got to a point where I was having great trouble leaving my home um, and, and in many cases couldn't leave my home. If I stepped outside, I had to come back in. And um, I, the help that I got for that, because I'm somebody who is very reactive to medication. I'm not a good person. Taking a Tylenol is like a whole big thing for me because I have allergic reactions to so many things. Um, so, you know, I, I, went, I went to doctors and said, what can I do? Because I was feeling very overwhelmed. And by the way, you know, this was at a period of time where my son had been diagnosed with autism and we were facing a lot. And I was having a hard time with everything, with literally everything. And doctors wanted to prescribe Valium or something that would numb me out. And then friends were saying, you know, have a drink. It'll all be better if you have a drink. And I, and, and I was like, wow, I have to be able to be there for my kid. I, like, I can't tune him out. He's full time 24 seven. So I didn't see how any of these solutions worked. But finally, somebody told me uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and I did cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and it helped me and it still helps me that it's a whole way of thinking my way through my thoughts. So yes. that when I start, I, I now can sense. It's funny, we had Alex Plank on the show on Friday, Dr. Grampy Shea. And he has an assistance dog that is trained to notice his heart rate and, and when, yes. he, when he's perspiring. And, and he said, sometimes I feel like I'm okay and everything is fine. And the dog will say, you know, give the signal, you're, you're starting to escalate. And, then, and that he, in the past, thought, I think the dog is wrong, but then would always find out that the dog is never wrong, that he yes. was starting to escalate. And that it helps him to stop. Now, I was trained for myself without a dog to notice the signs um, and and what to do at every point along the way. So if I'm activated at a two, there are things I can do to keep get myself to a one. If I missed it and I'm at a four to get myself to a two. And if I'm at a 10, what are the things that I need to do to get myself um, and I've not shared this on the show, but you know, I, I went and got my vaccine and because I'm somebody who has anaphylaxis mm-hmm. and has passed out and had to be resuscitated. Like it was a big deal for me to go and get the shot. I was worried I would have an allergic reaction, had to talk it through with my doctor. And, and when I was there for the second shot the other day, boy, I was really activated. And what did I do? I put my headphones in and I'm a Conahate. Right. <laughs> And I was fine because that's a thing that makes me relax, right? So I think, you know, finding the things that work for you and the thought process that works for you um, and helping the person in your life who, because my poor husband, who's been around me when I start to have a panic attack, had to learn some things to do, like not to bombard me with questions while I'm having a panic attack uh, or escalating, but to, you know, give me some space, but that's me. Everybody's a little bit different, but I think, I think that's really helpful. And I know you've recommended um, cognitive behavioral therapy before Dr. Grand Pichet, but, but it's not right for everyone, correct? No, I mean, everybody, people depend on different things and we have different things that work for us. Some people are going to actually choose medication over therapy, which is totally fine as well. Um, it, you, you basically find what works for you 
and you go that way, right? So you can be dealing with uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. You can have uh, uh, medications like Valium, Xanax. There are many other medications that help with this. You can uh, go through behavioral therapy where you are working on reducing your panic attacks or your anxiety, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of different, you could just see a psychologist on an ongoing basis and talk about your issues and, uh, you know, look at where they, uh, what the background is and what's causing them and so on. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do. And, and absolutely, Shannon, I, I, you know, forgive me to the audience for not bringing that up, but certainly if you're feeling to the point where you have anxieties or issues around anything that's going on, definitely therapy of some type or even psychiatric treatment, which is medication, uh, is definitely the way to go. There we go. So I hope some of that is of help to, to somebody out there. I'm saying hello to a whole bunch of people, Miranda and Nava. So thrilled that you're here with us, Nava. And Nazra, I'm loving these names. Samra Wheat, so glad that you're here. Lucy, we're gonna get to as many of these questions as we can. I want to go to a question about funding that somebody got a diagnosis. My child was diagnosed with ASD, but the insurance denied ABA after, after uh, doing the ADOS. Um, I certainly want to know where are you located? Which state are you in? Are you in the United States? Um, the ADOS is a diagnostic tool. It's the autism diagnostic observation schedule. So that if they denied ABA after ADOS, the only reason I can think of is that your child did not qualify for a diagnosis of autism. So that is where you need to go. You need to get the results of the ADOS from wh whomever gave it to your child. And uh, if you, uh, if it actually says that you don't have, your child does not have a diagnosis of autism, does not uh, the ADOS does not indicate it, and you disagree with that, then I would go see someone else who's a diagnostician and start that way. It's not, uh, I if, if your insurance is rejecting it based on some other thing, I can't imagine what that would be. The ADOS is only intended for diagnosis. We are seeing some weird things happen happening though right now with insurance um, where, where people are getting denied and it's, and it's not, uh, it's, it's not a legal denial yeah. and um, want to encourage everybody and empower them to know that you can appeal decisions made by your insurance and that often, depending on what your insurance is, your first appeal is, is sort of perfunctory. It doesn't do anything. And, and often you'll, as caregivers, we don't know this. So we put in the denial. We take the time to sit down and put in the denial. And by the way, they have to give you the denial in writing and the, and that denial in writing has to have instructions of how that how you can fight the denial. So make sure you get it in writing. But then we find that a lot of caregivers will do that. They'll, they'll put in the appeal. They get denied on the first denial and they think, well, this is hopeless, but it isn't. The asterisk is that on the second denial, there's a thing that says, here's how to appeal that. And that's the good, the good process. That's the one that's the most useful. Yeah. Um, and that we find that a lot of people have a lot of success with appealing, but you have to do it to the second denial. I could go into all the reasons why, but I, I think it would just bore everybody. But just know you usually have to do two. <laughs> and don't let go. I mean, this is part of the game with insurance companies is that they know that parents are so busy doing other things and taking care of their child. 
don't let it go. I, I saw, I think, another comment from the same, same parent um, saying that they offered speech therapy. That's great, but speech therapy is not enough. And they know that. And they know that ABA is authorized should your child have a diagnosis of autism. So if, uh, appeal it. Appeal it and keep going. Absolutely. Especially if you're in the United States, if you're in, if you're in, if you, if it's actual insurance, if it's not self-funded insurance, that's a different thing. Um, then I think you'll, you'll find that you'll be successful. And if you have more specific questions about that, you can write to me specifically and I can have a conversation with you about it. S.Penrod at autism-live.com. Cause I'll tell you something, I, you know, too many people fought too hard for us to get insurance funding for us to roll over and let them say you're not covered when it when you yeah. are. Uh, we're getting a neurological so development. Uh, oh, so I'm sorry. Questions. Go ahead. There's just there so, so many, many questions. questions. We should try to go through them fast. I worry right. about these questions. Okay, we're getting neurological development evaluation. What does something like that entail? Oh, okay. So they're they're going to do some physical tests and some uh, tests that resemble IQ tests. So a lot of the testing for neurological issues is similar to like the type of test where, uh, for instance, they'll put a block in front of your child and another series of pieces of a block and ask the child to try to produce the pattern that's on this block. Or they will draw something and have the child. Uh, try to copy it, or they will say numbers and see how many numbers your child can repeat forward or backward. There's those types of activities, and that uh, kind of will be able to tell them more about all different functioning of the mind. Don't be afraid of it. It is. Uh, it's really good. It's a. It's a good thing to have neurological testing. It tells you a lot about how your child is thinking. And good for you for getting it done. Hi, have you had any experience with kiddos taking Namenda? His biomed doctor wants to put my son on Namenda with, uh, to help with symptoms, especially hyperactivity. My son laughs excessively. It's an escape behavior. He also laughs excessively when he's nervous. I know it's not yeast. We've tested him for yeast and they said, it's exhausting. We're sending you a hug. Yeah, it is. I, I'm sending you a hug. But um, I just, okay, so a couple of quick answers to that. One is that, you mentioned that it's an escape function, so that would indicate that he is specifically laughing in order to get out of situations. And so let's deal with each of these one by one. When he laughs, do not let him get rid of the situation. Don't, do not get it, allow him to uh, you know, delay something. Continue working with him and ignore the laugh. You also mentioned that he also laughs when he's anxious. Um, that's a completely different function. So let's make sure we can do whatever we can to reduce his anxiety. Sometimes it's just something as basic as allowing him to hold on to his favorite stuffed animal or increasing reinforcers in his environment. Um, or, you know, does he have other things that could lead to anxiety? Like, is he sleeping okay or not? So let's make sure we deal with the anxiety. That's probably important to, for the physician to deal with. Now, Nemenda is usually a medication that's given for dementia patients, right? And it does have, it does, it is, it's supposed to clear up cognitive activity. It's supposed to increase your cognitive activity and make you just a kind of a little bit more clear in your thinking. 
it does have some side effects. One of the side effects is it makes you tired. And I don't know if the physician is trying to use it in order to balance out the hyperactivity. Um, I'm not sure, but Namenda has other side effects too. For instance, a lot of people have nausea from Namenda or dizziness. So I'm not sure that I would go to Namenda as a solution for ADHD, hyperactivity. I'd want to know a lot more about the hyperactivity. Is it a is it the hyperactive type of ADHD or is it just the, you know, is he just distractible and does he have issues with inhibition? What is, what's the overall profile? There's different types of ADHD. Um, and then there's other medications. If you even want to try other medications, maybe you've already tried them. Namenda would probably be something that happens after you've tried the standard medications for ADHD. Hopefully that helps. Yes. Um, long question here that I'm mostly going to refer to tomorrow because uh, we have Bonnie Yates, special education attorney on the show tomorrow live taking questions. Um, so somebody wrote in and said, how do I make sure a school district removes a special needs teacher and aides and replaces them with someone who is educated and doesn't abuse our kids? And they oh, want to no. know about how do we get cameras in the classroom? I'm sending you a hug because it sounds terrible. Um, I see on here that you have a lawyer, but I'd love for you to talk to Bonnie Yates tomorrow about uh, this very issue. There's a lot that needs to happen for school reform. Anything you want to add to that, Dr. Grampy-Shay? No, I mean, you know, wherever possible, if you can, uh, um, write down what's going on, record where you can, um, have people go in and observe where you can. The more proof you have, the better. I'm very okay. sorry going through this. It's very disappointing because we put our children in the hands of teachers and to have something like this happen is just shattering. Absolutely. I'm glad you have a lawyer though, because a lot of times that's what it takes. Uh, where do we find out about the therapy that Shannon used? Um, I use CBD oil and it helps me a lot. I don't do RX medicines. And they went, they're, they're a different parent than before. They went on to say that their insurance denied ABA or anything for autism. And they are the ones who were told that speech therapy, but then they didn't pay for it. So I'm a little horrified by that. But do you want to tell them about where you'd find, um, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT instead of CBD, uh, yeah. which is the no other thing. <laughs> so you, you can, you know, psychologists have different areas of specialty. Some psychologists are behavioral psychologists, others are family systems, some are psychodynamic and they follow Freud theory. There's lots of different types of psychologists. You can find a psychologist by getting, uh, asking your health insurance for referrals or a list of psychologists on their website. And then each of those psychologists will generally have a bio that says my area of uh, specialty or the way I practice is blah, blah, blah. And so you're looking for CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's similar to behavior therapy, but it is a little different in the sense that they give you exercises and activities that go in, like that require you to practice and in your mind, and they change the way you think about certain things that are happening to you. And um, it's extremely effective. I do want to tell everyone, and I, I, I appreciate a lot of people like Shannon um, don't want to try medication, and that's perfectly, absolutely fine. 
and CBT is very effective on its own. Medications are also effective on their own. The combination of the two has always been shown to be the most effective when one or the other doesn't work. Now, uh, CBD oil is also something that a lot of people use for anxiety um, and for panic attacks and even for pain. And um, I don't know a lot about that. I don't have experience with that or I don't have a lot of, I think it's mainly because it's too soon, but it certainly has been proven to be effective for a lot of people. So uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we, as I said, Shannon, we all have to find uh, what helps us. I want to shout out, we had somebody wrote in and, uh, and said, uh, hi, Doreen, I love your passion and your company. You've been so inspirational. And they later want, went on to write that they are a proud mama of a card employee. And they, I don't know if you can see who they said it is, somebody that I adore. Oh, uh, and, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Thank you. I, <laughs> I, I, I adore your daughter so much that I'm the one who had Joe Montaigne do a personal message to her, Doreen. That's she, when Joe Montaigne was on the show and we had, we always have a meet and greet whenever we have a celebrity on the show when we weren't in COVID and people could come and say hello. And um, Ashley, the wonderful Ashley, she was in a meeting and she couldn't, she wanted to meet Joe Montaigne in the worst way. And I was going to the opening of a show that night that Joe Montaigne was at. And I was like, could you just do a shout out to Ashley? And he's such a good sport. He did a whole thing about Ashley, where were you? And it was hilarious. Uh, so I hope that mom has seen it. I also want to say, I love Ashley as well. She's an incredible person. Thank you. Thank you, first of all, for your kind words, but thank you for giving us such a capable and wonderful a kind and incredible person to manage all of our, uh, for many years, Shannon, she managed the training for all of our. Yeah. OMs. Oh, we lost Dr. Grampuche. Or we lost me. I'm not sure which one. She's frozen. I hope you guys can still see me. I'm going to keep talking. Uh, hopefully we'll get Dr. Grampuche back. Uh, hopefully, we're, maybe it's better if it's uh, her that you have instead of me. I don't know. I want to go back to a question um, that we had from Dell about um, not getting the insurance, the insurance not funding you, um, but and and that the school is not being helpful and that they're not helping your child with licking his hands. So, Dr. Grampuche is back. I'm back uh, on my cell phone because we suddenly lost electricity. Oh dear. Well, that'll do it. So somebody who, the person who wrote in and said that insurance would not take the diagnosis and school's not being helpful. He says that they're having a problem with his child licking his hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have some suggestions? Well, I mean, it's licking your hands. It's very hard to find the function of that. If you are working with a behavior analyst, I do recommend that you try to figure out why he's licking his hands. But in the meantime, I mean, a, a lot of children that I've worked with in the past uh, who did lick their hands, if I could determine that it had just basically become a habit and we couldn't identify what was leading to it, uh, sometimes you can. Sometimes, Shannon, it's, it has to do with uh, just, you know, the t something on the hand that's bothering the individual and so on. But if you can't, 
I, I guess the best thing to do is there are even at like any drugstore you can find uh, these, I forget what, no bite, I think it's called, which is for little kids who uh, bite their fingers, uh, their fingernails, or uh, for kids, little, very young children who suck their thumbs. And it's pretty harmless and you can put it on the hand and it has like a sour type of taste. Um, and that will, you know, uh, uh, convince your child very quickly that it's not a fun thing to lick the hands. Yeah, doesn't taste good. Um, incredible. So um, I, I want to flip to a question that we had that came in last week while you weren't here, Dr. Grampichet. Um, and it was somebody who wrote in and identified themselves as uh, being a caregiver and that their spouse is a mental health uh, care provider. The, there was a video that we ran, talk, you were talking about the differences between ASD and other diagnoses like ADHD and how there are gradations of things. And they, they were very excited and said that they wanna be watching more videos but they wanted you to take a second and say what your credentials are oh. and, and where, you know, research that you might have been involved is because they said, we want to know who our experts are. And I thought we should answer this because we don't, we don't discuss this enough. No, of course. Yeah. So I am a, a PhD psychologist. I'm a licensed psychologist uh, in many, many states. I can't name them all. So I've been relicensed at least 10 times. Um, I'm also a board certified behavior analyst, a doctoral level. So a BCBAD. Um, I studied uh, uh, psychology at UCLA. Um, I have my, all of my degrees, my bachelor's, master's, and my doctoral, and my internships, pre and post, all at UCLA Hospital, UCLA uh, Department of Psych, and so on. And I have been uh, working in the world of autism, specifically uh, since 1978, 9. And so that's why we're, we're at almost 43 years. And um, I have been diagnosing uh, not just autism, but children in general. My practice is all about children. I've been diagnosing children since 1992. So however many years that is. Um, and so that, and, and of course I've published a, a lot of publications, I'm not sure how many, uh, I wouldn't be able to name them. There's more than there's I too can many. count. Yeah, there's too <laughs> many. And um, uh, they're on, mostly they have to do with autism, but there are many on, you know, diagnostic uh, symptoms of various disorders. There are all different. I have many uh, ha that are medical uh, articles, many in medical journals as well. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, you can kind of look up my publications if you're interested. Absolutely. Um, and I encourage you to do that. And I, and I sort of, I don't sort of, I love the fact that you're being discerning about where you take advice. And, and I love that they said, we're, you know, out of an abundance of caution, because there are people all over the internet, myself included, who, you know, I don't, I don't have a degree in autism. And so I always, usually when you're not here, Dr. Grampy Shea, I start the show and I say, we have lots, lots of experts on the show. I'm not one of them. 
Um, but, but I also say that, you know, I'm caregiver to caregiver. It's not that I don't know anything, happy to give it a, a, an opinion, but that people take it that way and that it's different, an opinion versus an expert opinion. It's a vastly different thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we've got somebody who we actually have a couple of people who have written in and urgently want to know your thoughts on the current COVID vaccination and giving that to the people are concerned about giving it to their children on the autism spectrum. Um, yeah. And great you question. Know, great question. That's it is a great question. And I know there's a lot of concern around this. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about this. So, you know, I, I'm a strong believer that we don't we just with everything, not just with autism, but with everything you cannot, uh, you, you can't, overgeneralize, right? You have to really ask yourself the questions and go into detail. So let's ask ourselves the questions of why have um, historically, why has there been a fear about vaccines in the world of autism to begin with? What is that all about? And the research that led to all of that was in two different formats. One was research that was published that showed that the DTaP or the DPT vaccines, the, you know, the diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus vaccine series, uh, used to be uh, bound together. It had a binding agent that was uh, uh, thimerosal. And thimerosal was, uh, a, I'm, I'm going to join you, Shannon, from uh, uh, my computer. Okay. Okay, that's the electricity must be back on. Yeah, the electricity just came back on, and I thought I should just join in here. So, um, yeah, so thimerosal was mercury, and that was it was causing our kids toxicity levels that were not that were not acceptable. So a lot of families then basically reacted to that and stopped using, stopped taking the DTaP vaccine. Uh, for the, the, the flu vaccine as well has a, a massive amount of thimerosal. In fact, later, I don't remember the year now, I think it would have been like 2007 or something, the vaccine, the binding agent was changed. But uh, after, anyway, it, it caused a significant reaction in the world of autism. After that, there was also research that showed that a lot of children uh, develop very severe gastrointestinal inflammation after having received the MMR vaccine. It was a completely different thing. It had nothing to do with the mercury issue, but it had to do with the inflammation of the gut. And all, it went back and forth, and there's a massive amount of controversy around it, but I can tell you that uh, realistically, the research shows that there is a lot of gastrointestinal inflammation occurring in children. And it's not just about the MMR vaccine per se. It's a fact that with our children, they are immunocompromised, which basically means that their immune system is not functioning the way that it does in us. Um, and a lot of that actually has to do with uh, their redox capability, their ability to detoxify from various toxins. And so, and that is a fact. In fact, it's getting so bad in our environment, Shannon, that almost everyone has some sort of GI issue now. 
and a gastrointestinal issue now. And a lot of these issues are just because the toxicity level has gotten so high in our food and the use of plastics and the air and our food is probably the biggest source, water, et cetera, um, that we are no longer able to detoxify. And so that is absolutely something that is of concern with our kids because they are, you know, uh, they uh, have a harder time with vaccines. The way that traditional vaccines work is that they're giving you a very, very minuscule amount of the disease and your immune system is supposed to react and, and, and basically put up a wall against that disease because your immune system now has a tiny taste of it and is now gonna crush it and now become so strong that that disease or that virus or whatever it is will not attack you anymore. Now, the current vaccine, the COVID vaccine is completely different theoretically, right? The way that it was made has absolutely nothing to do with giving you a small particle of the disease at all. It's not that. It is made by a messenger RNA, the vaccine, it changes your genetic composition. So what it does is they're giving instructions. Think of it as, as a message. It's not, uh, it is not a, a little bit of COVID so that your body reacts to it, not at all. It is a message that is being given to your genes, your genetic structure, and your genetic structure, then uh, it, the message is, hey, there's a, there's a virus out there. We want you to start protecting my body against it. And then your genetic uh, information and it reacts and then produces the antibodies that are, would normally be in place had you been exposed to COVID. So this is a little different. They're not exposing you to the virus. They're actually giving a message to your, uh, to your immune system to react before it has ever been exposed. So we've never had a virus like a vaccine like this before. Whether or not, so it doesn't follow the rules of past vaccines and our concerns. It doesn't have toxic metals in it or mercury. It doesn't have that kind of a fear that would potentially cause inflammation in the gut as in the measles vaccine, et cetera. So it doesn't follow those rules anymore. So you, one would say, maybe I shouldn't be too concerned about it because it's not within the same category. Having said that, it's brand new. We don't know. We, there hasn't been enough time to study this and to figure out, will it cause any kind of problem, not just in kids uh, who are immunocompromised, but in general, we don't know enough about this thing, right? Now we're reading that, for instance, it might be causing heart problems in people who received the Moderna vaccine who are of a certain age. Things will come out about these vaccines. We will learn. They will make them better. Um, I guess if I had children on the spectrum right now, I would probably wait because that's just my personal. And I think this is a decision that each parent has to make. First of all, we don't really have a vaccine that's appropriate for children yet. It hasn't been approved yet. Uh, I think Pfizer goes down to age 12, if I'm not wrong. And, but below yeah. that, we don't have anything. So let's wait and see what comes. Um, and let's keep reading and learning uh, about the science. Yeah. 
and and I, you know, since I disclosed that I got my shot, I feel that it's only fair that I disclose that my son, who's turning eight, 10, 18 next week, also got his shot. And I'll keep you posted, but he was fine. And my son has had autoimmune issues in the past. Um, so, and it was a long process that I had to go through and that I talked to a lot of people about it. Um, and I talked, because he's turning 18, I also talked to him about it um, and, and made it a determination based on a lot of different factors. It was not a light decision, um, but it was a decision that we made. And so I, I wanna be open um, about that, that we did make the decision and he made the decision and he has now had both of his shots, Pfizer. So I'll keep you guys posted on how all of that goes. Uh, okay, so- uh, Can, I think a question, if I remember, I, I don't remember what it was now, but I think there was a question, someone was asking about a genetic disorder or saying that yes. their child has, I don't remember what it was. Cause it is, my it is the same, was yeah, it is the same person who was saying that um, they would like cameras in the school and that they're finding out that, and they would like to have, um, different people in the school and they've hired lawyers. Uh, and the, the genetic disorder, I'm gonna find it and tell you that they were saying Smith-Maginus oh, yeah. syndrome, which I'm not uh, aware of, 11 year old. Yeah, it's a chromosome um, deletion disorder. And I, if I'm not wrong, it's chromosome 17 deletion. But it, it's some of its symptoms, it's actually an interesting question because a lot of times with our kids who are diagnosed with autism, autism is the kind of is diagnosed based on symptoms, right? And sometimes when you find out more, this again is one of those things where you have to know the biology of the child. When you find out more and you do genetic testing, you realize that there's underlying genetic uh, deletions or issues with chromosomes. Now, because some of the things with chromosome 17 will result in similar issues. Like you'll have behave challenging behaviors. With this particular disorder, you will also have some intellectual disability. Um, and I, if I'm not wrong, I think you also have sleep issues. So you're going to have some similar types of issues going on. Uh, from a therapy and support perspective, you do behavior therapy is the way to go and also uh, you should probably be also doing a lot of physical types of therapies like occupational therapy and physical therapy and um, it is a little bit harder to deal with I, my heart goes out to you it's tough it's very very tough you definitely need a, an intense um, system of support around you Wonderful. I, we we have so many more questions, but we're out of time. Um, I want to thank you, Dr. Grampy-Shea, for being here and being so willing to answer people's questions. It's such a wonderful thing. I want to thank everybody uh, that asked questions and everybody who just was here for listening. Uh, I want to point out that, again, if you have a question that's about school, our special education attorney that we have as a regular on the show is back tomorrow. Bonnie Yates will be with us. And then on Friday, we have Leah Hirschfeld's going to be with us talking about recent research in the field of autism. And Nancy Alspot Jackson will be joining with me uh, and we'll be talking about news stories in, in, that are of interest this week. So that's what's happening this week. Dr. Grampuche, thank you so much for being here. We're going to say goodbye for now, but uh, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.
Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.